Yeah, interesting reaction from my beloved congregation. <laughs> you doubt my credentials, I, I see, for said activity. Uh, you need to know that in my past, um, distant past, I was a wedding singer. Yeah, baby. I'm not talking about any of this, you know, low-quality, low-brow stuff that doesn't matter. I was a wedding singer. I had this friend. He was actually my mentor um, after I got out of college. And he, he uh, found his bride and intended to wed and wanted me to be in the wedding and evidently had no idea what to do with me. So he asked me to sing at his wedding. And um, I resisted. I protested. He would not relent. He actually made me sing at his wedding. Um, and as a testimony of God's grace, they're still wed to this day. It's been <laughs> 25 plus years or thereabouts. Um, but the one concession that he did let me do was I could sing a duet, okay? I didn't have to sing a solo. So he found this, this lady to sing with me. And the last time that she sang, the only time I remember her singing publicly, she sang a solo in church, and it was a classical work from Isaiah, uh, latter parts of Isaiah, and it brought the church to their feet. So, so... Thankfully, this was the person I got to sing with. Largely, she just kind of swallowed me up with her talent. And I think the sound guys, after the first few bars, dialed my mic way down. So with that as my credentials, this morning I want to teach you a song. But I want to I do what they did for me back in the day. I want to pair you with someone uh, remarkable. I want to pair you with David. And I want to teach you the song of David's life that's recorded in 2 Samuel 22. Um, and if you are like me and you're not particularly suited to public singing, you can take heart that some of the translations, rather than saying David sang this to the Lord, it says David spoke this song to the Lord. So you can at least participate in that way. But this is a song... Um, this is a song that should be your song. This, this comes at the end of David's life. The, the writer puts it here intentionally as kind of a look back over David's life. It's recorded here. It's also recorded uh, in a, an almost identical fashion in Psalm 18, I believe it is. Which is very unusual that it would be recorded twice. But it is David's life song in many ways, and it ought to be ours. We need to learn to sing this song. And if we can't sing it, we should shout it. And if we can't shout it, if we're forbidden that activity, we should at least hum it wherever we go. This should be our song in the morning and in the noontime and in the evening. Because the song of David, um, it's our song. So I'd like to lead you in exploring the verses of this song. I'll kind of group the, the verses in the Bible into verses of a song, so to speak. 
And there are six or seven of them, and we'll walk through those together. And I want you to think with me as we go through this. Am I singing this verse? Is this the chorus that my life has embraced and owned and echoes to a world that's just listening? Listening for people singing this song. And so if you would, let's pray together, and then we'll walk through David's song and think about what it means to make it ours. Okay, let's pray. Lord, give us mercy this morning to embrace this song and make it our own and sing it in ways that we never have before, in places we never have before, to people that we never have before, with a faithfulness to its message like we never have before. So, uh, God, be merciful to us today. and Show us how we should live so that we know how we should sing. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. He said, it's a, the song is contained in 2 Samuel 22, but kind of by way of backdrop, I'd like to back up into 21 and just read to you the latter parts of chapter 21. Okay, you're going to have to help me out back there. Thank you very much. It says, uh, once again, in verse 15 of chapter 21, once again there was a battle between the Philistines and Israel. David went down with his men to fight against the Philistines, and he became exhausted. And Ishbi Banab, one of the descendants of Rapha, who was a giant, whose bronze spearhead weighed 300 shekels and who was armed with a new sword, said he would kill David when David was exhausted. But Abishai, son of Zariah, came to David's rescue and he struck the Philistine down, this giant Philistine down, and killed him. And David's men swore to him, saying, Never again will you go out with us to battle so that the lamp of Israel will not be extinguished. And in the course of time, there was another battle with the Philistines at Gob. And at that time, Sibachai the Hushethite killed Saph, one of the descendants of Rapha, another giant. And in another battle with the Philistines at Gob, uh, Elhanan, son of Jeroragim, the Bethlehemite, killed Goliath the Gittite, who had a spear with a shaft like a weaver's rod. So there's another giant falls. And in still another battle, which took place at Gath, there was a huge man with six fingers on each hand and six toes on each foot, 24 in all. He also was descended from Rapha. And when he taunted Israel, Jonathan, son of Shimea, David's brother, killed him. And these four were descendants of Rapha and Gath, and they fell at the hands of David and his men. Now, what this story does for us, it provides a backdrop for the song of David's life. Um, as these four giants of men are defeated by David and his men, at least one case, David's life is saved by one of his men who killed the giant. But when you read this over, there's a puzzle that's in here that I just wanted to, to mention briefly, and then we'll move on into the song. Um, it says here that there's another man, I think it was um, Elhanan, son of Jerorigim, the Bethlehemite, killed Goliath, the Gittite, who had a spear with a shaft like a weaver's rod. And we are inclined to think, well, wait a minute, I thought David killed Goliath. 
And so it's kind of difficult to figure out exactly, exactly who killed Goliath at this point in time. David or Elhanan? And the helpful answer, at least in part, comes from another account in First um, Chronicles where it says, in another battle with the Philistines, Elhanan, son of Jair, killed Lami, the brother of Goliath, the Gittite, who had a spear like a shaft of a weaver's rod. So probably the fellow in view here is Goliath's brother. David killed Goliath, and Elhanan killed Goliath's brother. Um, where it gets confusing is he's called Goliath. And, and trying to sort this out, the modern-day example might be helpful. Uh, does anybody know this man? This is the grill master, George Foreman, former heavyweight champion of the world. George Foreman has five sons. Anybody know what their names are? George. George Jr., George II, or George the Third, George the Fourth, George the Fifth, and George the Sixth. Every one of his sons um, is named George. So the idea that two brothers could both have the name Goliath is not unreasonable, and, and a name like Lami might could possibly be a nickname because I'm surely when George Foreman calls his sons, he has to call them something other than George. So I'm sure there were a plethora of nicknames or at least a numbering system that went with those sons to keep them straight. So all of that to say that probably who's killed here was Goliath's brother and uh, perhaps some naming pattern which uh, follows our beloved George Foreman at this point in time. But this kind of amazing... Uh, against gigantic odds kind of deliverance marks David's life. And it's what prompts his song. Chapter 22 says, David sang to the Lord the words of this song when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. Um, David's Song will break up into sections, and I'll call those verses like we would in a, in a, of a hymn or in a hymnal. And the first verse of David's song is a song of praise to God for his deliverance, for answering David's cry. It says, The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield, the horn of my salvation. He's my stronghold, my refuge, and my savior. From violent men, you save me. I call to the Lord who is worthy of praise, and I am saved from my enemies. David cries out to God, who is his rock, his fortress, his deliverer, his rock, his refuge, his shield, the horn of his salvation. It's just this kind of avalanche of descriptors of who God is for David. And, and this is our song. We can sing this song. David's God is our God. He hasn't changed. He's our rock. He's our fortress. He's our deliverer. He's our rock. He's our refuge. He's our shield. He's the horn of our salvation. He's our stronghold, our refuge, our savior. And David calls out to God because he knows that he's this kind of God. And, and this should be our cry as well. We call to God. We pray because God is like this for us. 
He continues on with this idea. He says, the waves of death swirled about me. The torrents of destruction overwhelmed me. The cords of the grave coiled around me. The snares of death confronted me. He's having a really bad day. Okay? He says, but in my distress, I called to the Lord. I called out to my God. And from his temple, he heard my voice. And my cry came to his ears. So the two great motivations for David to cry out to God are, one, who God is, and secondly, David is in deep, deep trouble. And so these things coalesce, they come together in David's life, and he cries out to the Lord. Um, And this should be our song. Those two things are true in our life. God is our rock, our refuge, our savior, our stronghold, our fortress, our horn of salvation. He is all those things for us. And we're in trouble too. I mean, every day we're in situations that are wildly out of our control. Whether it's another driver, or another co-worker, or a family member, or a health issue, or a turn of the stock market. Life is out of control for us. And we find ourselves in trouble every day. Every day. So this is our song. This is our verse. We cry out to God. And he hears us. David sings this refrain to the heavens. Who comes? I mean, when we pray to God, who comes? comes in answer. And that's the second verse of David's song. It's the portrait of his delivery. Listen to what he says. He says, the earth trembled and quaked. This is in response to his prayer. The foundations of the heavens shook. They trembled because he, that is God, was angry. Smoke rose from his nostrils. Consuming fire came from his mouth. Burning coals blazed out of it. He parted the heavens and came down. Dark clouds were under his feet. He mounted the cherubim and flew. He soared on the wings of the wind. He made darkness his canopy around him. The dark rain clouds of the sky. And out of the brightness of his presence, bolts of lightning blazed forth. The Lord thundered from heaven. The voice of the Most High resounded. He shot arrows and scattered the enemies, bolts of lightning and routed them. The valleys of the sea were exposed and the foundations of the earth laid bare at the rebuke of the Lord, at the blast of breath from his nostrils. This is is a... Some people say this is a theophany. This is when David got a glimpse of, of God. I don't know whether he saw a vision or whether he actually saw God come through great um, earthquakes and storms and exercise deliverance. We saw when Noah taught us a few weeks ago that God used creation to establish military victory on David's behalf when the forest killed more than the sword, swallowed up more than the sword. But what's clear here is that The God who comes in answer to David's prayer, in answer to your prayer, is incredible. I mean, just his breath and his word brings earthquakes and lightning bolts and thunder and mighty, mighty deliverance. He's angry at our enemies. He's bringing rebuke that's powerful. 
This is the God who answers our prayer. This is the God that we are singing about. See, this is our song. This is our God. This is our deliverer. And when we pray, this is the God who comes to our aid. This mighty creator God. Third verse of our song. Starts in verse 17. And it has to do with our rescue. We had a call to God in the first segment. And then God came. This great sovereign over creation came. And this is the deliverance it brings. He says, he reached down from on high and took hold of me. He drew me out of deep waters. He rescued me from my powerful enemy, from my foes who were too strong for me. They confronted me in the day of my disaster, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. So this storm-wielding, creation-commanding God brings a mighty deliverance over all of David's enemies. I mean, Goliath, uh, Saul, David is rescued at every turn. I love the language, the picture. God reaches down and took hold of me and pulled me out of deep waters. See, that's our story. That's what God does for us. When we're in um, the deepest pit we've ever been in, we cry out to God in this great Lord of creation, the sovereign of the universe, reaches down and delivers us. When we're sick, we cry to God and he reaches down and he heals us. When we don't know where the money's going to come from for the next bill and God reaches down and he provides for us. When jobs are lost and loved ones are estranged from us and we cry out to God, he reaches down and his deliverance comes to us. This is our song. This is what, this is what we should be humming on the way to work. He reached down from on high took hold of me and drew me out of deep waters. The very last of that verse, verse 20, it says, he brought me out into a spacious place, a good place, a safe place. And he rescued me because he delighted in me. Now that's, a, that's an amazing statement that God rescued me because he delighted in me. Why do you suppose God delights in David? And as we sing this song, in us, what, what is it that he's delighting in? And the next phrase, the next verse, is the place of God's blessing, is what it's really about. It's the people God loves to deliver. In verse 21... David says, the Lord has dealt with me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands, he's rewarded me. 
For I have kept the ways of the Lord. I have not done evil by turning from my God. All his laws are before me. I've not turned away from his decrees. I've been blameless before him, and I've kept myself from sin. The Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to my cleanness in his sight. To the faithful, you show yourself faithful. To the blameless, you show yourself blameless. To the pure, you show yourself pure, God. But to the crooked, you show yourself shrewd. You save the humble. But your eyes are on the haughty to bring them low. God delights in David because David is faithful and blameless and pure. And this is troubling on several levels. Um, First of all, is this merit? Is this David's getting what he deserves from God? Where's God? We thought it was about grace. We thought we didn't deserve good things from God. And here's David saying, God rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to my cleanness. He's faithful to those who are faithful. He's blameless to those who are blameless. So it's troubling On that level, it's also troubling that David would say this. Has he forgotten about the whole Bathsheba incident? Not exactly blameless, not exactly pure. So let me just tell you how I've wrestled with those and and think about them. Is this merit? Does this violate grace? The first question. Are we somehow here able to earn God's delight? And I think the answer is, of course not. Um, Of course not. But the Bible does teach us that there's a place where God loves to pour out his blessing. He loves to be gracious to those who are faithful, to those who are pure, to those who are humble. Um, Lamentations Chapter 3, the Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. This is the, the consistent teaching of the Bible, that God, there's a place where God loves to pour out his blessing. When we are faithful and obedient, when we are pure and resist temptation and sin, God loves to bless us there. It's not the only place but it's his favorite place, and it's still all of grace. It's not merited. It's just the best place to be blessed by God. Um, Think of it like this. Uh, God's blessing is like a water balloon, okay? And there's a place where you can stand, where you are most likely to be immersed in that grace. Isn't that cool? I want to do that again just because it was just because that's too fun. Man, if you're where this guy is, you're gonna get soaked, drenched. Now, people standing anywhere around him, they're gonna get splattered. 
that balloon of blessing is just, it's just too gracious to be confined to this one place. But that's the best place to get absolutely immersed in the kindness and the grace and the mercy of God. It's still grace. You can't stand there and say, because I'm standing here, I deserve to be soaked. You just moved out of the place where you deserve to be soaked, if that's your attitude. But that's, there's a place where God loves to pour out his mercy on his people, to bless them. And it's the place of faithfulness and purity and humility. Man, there is so much water in that balloon. Who would have thought? Who would have thought? Um, if you want to get drenched, if you want to get soaked by God's blessing, there is a place where God loves to pour out his blessings on his people more than anywhere else. And that's the place of faithfulness and purity and humility. And David here is saying, I have stood in that place. The place of humility and faithfulness and purity. Now that takes us to our second problem. Hello, David. Um, have you forgotten the whole Bathsheba adultery Uriah murder incident? Not exactly the centerpiece of the place where God loves to pour out his blessing. And a couple of things are helpful to think about this. On the one hand, um, it's entirely possible, maybe even likely, that this psalm was written by David um, prior to that incident when he'd been delivered from Saul and all of his enemies. So he may be writing this prior to his great sin. But even if that's the case, the compiler of this book of Samuel has chosen to put it here at the end of David's life as the song of David's life. This is David's legacy. And my take on that is that even the greatest of sins, the most horrific thing in your past, need not define you if you have repented of it well. See, David committed this grievous sin where he slept with and stole another man's wife by way of murder. Killed the guy. But then, oh, the repentance that followed. Full and sacred and broken before God to the point where David's legacy is what we just read. Faithful, pure, humble. So even the greatest of sin, repented of well, need not define you. And you can sing with David. Where he says, I have kept the ways of the Lord. 
I have not done evil by turning from my God. All his laws are before me. I have not turned away from his decrees. I have been blameless before him and kept myself from sin. The Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to my cleanness, cleanness in his sight. See, that can be your song. It should be your song if you repent well of your sin. It doesn't mean you're perfect. David wasn't perfect. We found bumps, little bumps all along the way in addition to the great crater of Bathsheba and Uriah. But because he's a man after God's own heart, he deals well and decisively with his sin. He repents of it fully. And he leaves this legacy. Um, this can be your song too. You deal well with your sin. That's not what defines you. God's mercy and grace expressed in you standing in the place of God's blessing, that becomes the defining characteristic of your life. Now, in the next section, the next verse of David's song, of our song, is just a reminder. Even though David has just said, you know, I've been faithful, I've been blameless, I've been obedient, I've been Humble, he says. The next section is this. It's a declaration that it's all about God. Okay. It's just the balance to that. It's all about God. You're my lamp, O Lord. The Lord turns my darkness into light. With your help, I can advance against a troop. With my God, I can scale a wall. As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is flawless. He's a shield for all who take refuge in him. For who's God besides the Lord? And who's the rock except our God? It's God who arms me with strength and makes my way perfect. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to stand on the heights. He trains my hands for battle. My arms can bend a bow of bronze. You give me your shield of victory. You stoop down to make me great. I love, again, that imagery. God stoops down to make us great. You broaden the path beneath me so that my ankles do not turn. See, in David's song, it's all about God. God gets all the credit. He's the deliverer. He's the one who comes to our aid. He wins the victory for us. God is to get the credit for our success. And so this morning, I just wonder, is this the song you sing? When good things come your way, whose song do you sing? Whose praise comes out of your mouth? Is it you or is it God? Do you strut around peacock-like? Displaying your ribbons and your kudos? Or like David, do you say, you know, this is with God's help. This is by God's power. This is God's work. This is God's victory. Does God constantly get the credit from your successes at work or at school or on the athletic field or in the home? Does he get the credit? My favorite story and if you've been here a while, you've heard it before, about this whole matter comes from John Ortberg in his book, Love Beyond Reason. He says, not long ago, there was a CEO of a Fortune 500 company who pulled into a service station to get gas. And he went inside to pay. And when he came out, he noticed his wife engaged in a deep discussion 
with the gas station attendant. It turned out that she knew him. In fact, back in high school, before she met her eventual husband, she used to date the gas station attendant. So, right, she's married to the CEO of a Fortune 500 company, but she used to date the gas station attendant. The CEO got in the car, and the two drove in silence, and he was feeling pretty good about himself when finally he spoke. I bet I know what you're thinking. I bet you're thinking you're glad you married me, a Fortune 500 CEO, and not him, a gas station attendant. She replied, no, no, I was thinking if I'd married him, he'd be a Fortune 500 CEO and you'd be a gas station attendant. <laughs> See, it's not, it's not about us. It's really not. You know, you, would, you make an advance, you leap an obstacle. Kudos come to you. Um, it's our song to deflect those to God, to give God the glory um, because it's by virtue of His grace that all the good things come to us, all the victories that come to us. Um, and they are great, great victories in the verses that follow. David says, I pursued my enemies and crushed them. I did not turn back till they were destroyed. I crushed them completely, and they could not rise. They fell beneath my feet. And then again, he turns to God, and he says, You armed me with strength for battle. You made my adversaries bow at my feet. You made my enemies turn their backs in flight, and I destroyed my foes. They cried for help, but there was none to save them. To the Lord, but he did not answer. I beat them as fine as the dust of the earth. I pounded and trampled them like mud in the streets. David was able to do that which Saul could not and prevail against the enemies of God, specifically the Philistines that they'd been battling all this time. David led the nation in this great, great victory. And the scope of these victories in the next few verses extends to the nations. It says, you've delivered me from the attacks of my people internal fighting amongst the Israelites that was against David. You've preserved me as head of nations. People I did not know are subject to me. And foreigners come cringing to me. As soon as they hear me, they obey me. They all lose heart. They come trembling from their strongholds. And again, God gives to David victories that are beyond his imagination. Not just his own people, but the nations now are subject to him. And of course, this is God's great passion to be acknowledged and worshipped among all peoples, among the nations. And that's why in a couple of weeks you're going to have the chance to participate in intermissions, our missions conference, because God's heart is for the nations to be worshipped and acknowledged by all peoples as an expression of his glory and an expression of his kindness. But David is used wildly. And that happens to us. God uses us in ways we can't imagine. For many of us, this is the verse that's yet to be written in our song. To trust God to do things in us and through us that are unthinkable 
unless God's in the picture. What's the song that's yet to be written in your life for the glory of God? What's he going to do with you? Who's going to be reconciled because of you? Maybe in a family? Maybe to God? Where will his message be taken because of you? Some teenage kid who's way off the beaten path. But you take the message. Some scraggly little neighbor kid that you welcome into your home. And God uses you and your you know, disordered family to show Christ to them. You know, amazing accomplishments await you in your field at where you work or in your home through the relationships you build. God is going to use you in amazing ways. And then you sing that verse where he gets the glory. Great victories await us for his name's sake. And then this, this wonderful song concludes with this expression. The Lord lives. Praise be to my rock. Exalted be God, the rock, my Savior. He's the God who avenges me, who puts the nations under me, who sets me free from my enemies. You exalted me above my foes. From violent men, you rescued me. Therefore, I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations. There it is again. I'll sing praises to your name. He gives his king great victories. He shows unfailing kindness to his anointed, to David and his descendants forever. And that's us. The kindness and the mercy of God. So David ends his song, last verse, just praise Just praise to God for the life that he's been able to live and the song that he's been able to sing to the glory of his king. And just as we reflect on David's song as an an image of his life and of his heart, um, all these different verses, is there a piece in David's song that's missing in your life? Is there something that God is calling you to sing more boldly, to live more clearly? As you listen to David's life song kind of unfold before us here this morning. One thing we don't want to miss, and that's praise. And so we're going to conclude the service today with a response of praise as God's people, declaring together, we will praise you, O Lord, among the nations. We will sing praises to your name. So would you stand? Let's worship our king together as his people.